1: All right, we're going to get back into a conversation we've had um uh, and get some details and some insight because I think you know when you take a look at the massacre in Saskatchewan there are so many different well horrible aspects to that story, right? And one that I think has um lots of those have, have saddened people, frustrated people, but I think there's one area that's really angered people. So we're going to try and get some details on it. Um and that's how was Sanderson out to begin with? Why was this guy out? We've gone through his record many times here on the show, right? Um Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of charges and convictions and uh in and out uh, breach parole sixty five times I mean on and on the list goes I mean I can tell you that several years ago I spent um, just a couple of days uh, on a TV story with a pair of Edmonton police service detectives and and I think they were the only two all by themselves within the police department. And they were the unit responsible for tracking down people unlawfully at large and they had a lot of names to work through. I mean, it, it's, there's, you would be shocked by how many parole violators are out there, how many warrants are, are out there. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people think that there's somebody out chasing these people down. There's not, by and large. You might have a couple of people within a department or something. Um, but by and large, it's in the system. And if police encounter them, then they deal with them that way, but they just don't have the resources to be out chasing every single arrest warrant now if it's a high profile or very dangerous offender it's probably a different situation but by and large um i don't think it's a focus and it can't be but when we talk about this situation there's a few different angles to it and i want to get into some of the 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 legal reasons for why sanderson may have been out we're going to chat now with uh lisa kerr who's an assistant professor in the faculty of law at queen's university lisa thanks so much for your time i really appreciate you joining us no problem uh, I want to break it down into a couple of areas. First of all, statutory release. I think a lot of people um are wondering, okay, well, he was given you know like in Canada, let's say if you get a six year sentence, you do four years, you're released on statutory release. That's by and large how it works two thirds so just explain statutory release. It's not every instance, but most instances you're out after two thirds of your sentence, right right,
2: so parole eligibility kicks in at one third of your sentence, so If you're doing well, you think you have a shot at parole, you can go in front of the parole board and ask them for that early release. Uh, Mr. Sanderson did not get um, parole. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he applied for it and was denied, but in any event, he gets the statutory release. And you're right, at that stage, the release, the release is automatic. And the reason we do that The reason we do it is really public safety. We don't want people walking out at the end of a six year sentence with zero supervision, uh, as zero controls. So when someone leaves on stat release, the parole board can, can put conditions on that, require them to communicate with their parole officer, can require them to live in a particular place, to not associate with people, to abstain from alcohol and so on. And it does seem that Mr. Sanderson had those conditions placed upon him for his statutory release.
1: And I understand what you're saying, and it makes perfect sense. We talk about public safety, though. In some instances, can that be overridden? And and can correctional services say, you know what? Yeah, you've served two-thirds, but we don't think it's safe to let you out and keep you in for the full term of your sentence.
2: They can do that, and it happens from time to time. Um, What that requires is a special application being brought to the parole board by corrections. So that's the call of the Correctional Service of Canada, not the parole board. Um, The parole board can't initiate that. Um, So they could bring that and the test that they would have to meet is that um, that this person had committed a certain serious offence in the past and it was likely there was a reasonable basis to believe that they were going to cause death or serious personal injury before their warrant expiry. So in that space of time, that last third of their sentence, um, that they were going to commit that serious of an offence. So it's a pretty high bar to meet. We actually, Our system really does not want to detain people past statutory release unless there's a serious concern. And it's really all about public safety. It's because you know, when they get to warrant expiry, they're going out. Yeah. And, so, and so the question is, are they going out cold turkey? Or are they going out with some supervision and some structure? And so um, it, it is possible to detain past that release, but, but the law and the policy is to kind of avoid doing that wherever possible.
1: And I guess the question here is in terms of and you're right, Maybe even in the worst of cases. It's better to have that two thirds because then you're right. You've got sort of a transitionary period where they're still under supervision. Okay. But if you take a look at this guy with the number of 59 convictions, 125 charges, 65 breaches, um wh- what rises to the level of okay, we're going to keep you in full term, even though I understand what you're saying, that may be detrimental, but uh, what rises to the level of, okay, we need to reassess this and uh, you're not safe to be out?
2: Well, as I said, the test is a reasonable likelihood for thinking the person's going to
0: commit. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
2: Sign up to The Economist for in-depth, curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Um, an offense that causes serious bodily injury or death in the, in the period of time before the warrant expiry. Um, so that's, that's the test. I, I've I've worked for people in situations where uh, that test was satisfied and it was circumstances like they made a threat to someone right before leaving the prison that they were coming out and we're going to get them. Yeah. Right. And at that point, okay, you can bring the application and say, we've got a basis for believing this. Right. And we're going to it's risky to keep someone to warrant expiry. We're kicking possibly a bigger problem yeah, down exactly. the road. But in a circumstance like that, you got to do it. And I've seen it happen. But I, I'm not aware that there was any basis for that here. This was a guy who I know that to ordinary Canadians, it sounds like an extraordinary criminal record. A lot of those uh, offenses are, as you say, sort of administrative breaches. Um, he'd had lots of custodial time in the in the provincial system, those sentences had been escalated over time, which is kind of how we handle things. Um, this is an Indigenous person where judges have to think about gladu factors and have to think about our extraordinary overrepresentation of Indigenous people in prison. So, um, it, you know, it's easy to say, how does someone with 59 convictions ever get out again? But, you know, judges have to actually deal with the human beings in front of them and try to do something to sort of punish, but also uh return this person it, 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 hopefully um better off down the road to their community and so you know, it's it's, it's it's a long, long sentence doesn't always achieve
1: those goals. We do have the extraordinary uh, dangerous offender designation in this country. And I'm hearing from a lot of people on the text line right now. Lisa saying, well, why didn't they just declare him a dangerous criminal and dangerous offender? And then he stays behind bars until he can prove he's he's safe to be out again. Um, this case in particular, when we talk about that dangerous offender status in Canada, this doesn't come close. Right. We're we're typically talking about like your Paul Bernardo and the like.
2: Um, I, I, think Paul, many, many people have been declared a dangerous offender who fall far short of what Paul okay. Bernardo did. Um, but you're right. I, 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 you know, without having really reviewed his, his entire history and seen all his documents, it's a little hard for me to say. But no, I, my instinct is no, this is not someone who comes close to, um, um, satisfying that dangerous offender standard, which is really saying, Um, your risk is never going to be manageable in the community. So folks who get that sometimes are people who've, you know, committed sexual offenses and they've been incarcerated and they've done every single program you can do to try to address their offending. And every time they get out, they do it again. Um, you know, and at some point you kind of go, okay, the system has done all it it can do for you and you repeat. And so now it's time to look at the DO regime. Um, this uh, you know when I look at mr. Sanderson's record it, it, you know it, it's certainly serious um, but it's often connected to alcohol it's often connected to sort of managing emotions um, it, it it seems to have really been part of sort of a cycle of learned violence um, um, you know stemming from his family of origin and so on and, and I, I think where we should be i I, I know here hindsight's 2020 20, sure, and, exactly and of course like Like anyone else, I wish that he had been incarcerated on September 4th. Um, Um, But, you know, we have tough calls to make about this is a young guy, right? This is a young guy who's acting out. Many, many, many people in his circumstance enter their 30s and turn it around, right? And mature and grow up and do some programs and get some insight and find their spirituality and so on. And and we don't want to just throw all those people away. Um, so it's tough. I I am very hesitant to sort of sit in my living room and say how what was the judge thinking, sure. right? Because um, these are people's lives and they're very difficult decisions.
1: Um, what about the fact that he was on parole? He was on the Crime Stoppers most wanted list in Saskatchewan. I mean, right. there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Canadians currently out with arrest warrants for them, right? I mean, it's not like we have right. task force chasing them down.
2: Right. And I, it's important. To, I'll just correct you on language there. He was not on parole.
1: Right. Exactly. Okay. Yes. He did.
2: He, he, he did not access parole. He was on statutory release. And what I would say is the point you're making is even stronger for that reason. Um, p- folks on statutory release, they were unable to access parole. They were unable to convince the parole board to let them out early. And so I would suggest that they're kind of a riskier group and the data suggests that they're fairly safe, but they do commit crimes more than people who are on parole which is not surprising right there they have tougher cases that's why they didn't get parole in the first case yeah. in the first place um and
1: oh did we lose lisa sounds like maybe Lisa, are you there um oh sorry yeah, yeah we lost your first you yeah, yeah we got you we got you're back okay. yeah
2: i would just say i'm i'm not a policing expert but to me someone on staff Right. And got and got released again and has now disappeared and has ceased communicating with his parole officer. And, you know, he's not particularly remote. He was probably an hour outside Regina. That to me is someone whose risk has been significantly elevated. And I would want to see police give that a priority. Um, He's not just someone on parole. That person's going to be a little safer than the person on stat release.
1: Right. Right.
2: He's someone on stat release who has disappeared and who's already been suspended once. So I agree with you. We should have a system that tells police to treat that as a higher priority.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, we know that this guy—the the history seems to be there. But yeah, and, and, and you know, and, and you know what, police will say, and they're right. I, I agree with the police. they will say we don't have time to be chasing down every warrant that gets issued. There's thousands every day. I mean, we just don't have the resources. So, it, it, you know, that's that's a fair response from police.
2: There's not thousands every day of people on stat release who've already been. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm mixing it,
1: it up with parole breaches. breaches. I, right. I, I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you.
2: Well, and they're, you know, so I, I don't, I, I, given the rate of offending of people on stat release, it's very low. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm not a policing expert, but to me, if they had one priority on a daily basis, it would be federal offenders on stat release who have disappeared and stopped communicating with their parole officer. You kind of know that person is off the rails. Right. right. And they have the legal authority. Right. So uh, it's a big question for me.
1: Yeah. I hear you, Lisa. It's a question for a lot of us, no doubt. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate yeah. you joining us.